Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. It's our favorite day of the week. This is now the only time that I get to talk Bible with Annika. I know, that's crazy. The time is set aside just to talk Bible. I'm really excited about it. So we are on October 16th episode. We'll be doing First Kings, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. Three, four, and we started Daniel. And we started Daniel. We're in a lot of books. Six books this week. So this I thought was fun to read about. Not fun. I guess I remember like in Sunday school growing up and learning about you know, all the different kings in Judah and Israel and how they fought with each other and Rehoboam and Jeroboam and Ahab. And so I actually paid attention in the latter part of this week's reading. It was cool because for the most part, they sort of flip, but just like the way that the book of first Kings is organized, they would talk about the king of Judah and then talk about that king for a little bit. And then they would yes. say, while that king was reigning in Judah, this is what's happening over in Israel. Like, yes. and it kind of went back and forth and it was really That's easy so to follow. And I didn't, I just was surprised. I don't know why I was so surprised. It was easier to follow than I expected it to be. That's so good. When I thought about it based on the jumble that is left over in my head from when I was a kid in Sunday school. So interesting, because I actually kind of checked out for that part. I was like, this is really boring. And I know there's a whole book that's going to go away in, in more detail. But I'm gonna, I'll catch up with this in Chronicles. <laughs> First Kings was my favorite this week, I think. Well, I love the before the and after. Well, because before all they go into all those king stuff, they tell the story about this prophet who came and he prophesied against Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeroboam. And this prophet comes and he gives him this terrible word from the Lord because of his disobedience. And then the king is like, why don't you stay and have a meal? And the prophet's like, uh, no, thanks. I'm out of here. I was told specifically not to have a meal with you. And so no. And so he goes off on the road and then another prophet in the town hears about him, what he had done and sends his son Mm -hmm. or a servant out to go get him. And the prophet is like, no, I'm not coming I'm not supposed to stay. And the guy says, well, I have a word from the Lord that says you are supposed to stay. And so the prophet stays and he has a meal with them. And then he ends up dying. He ends up dying on the road. I'm backtracking a little bit. Like he knows that he's going to die, right? Like he knows. Yeah. Like the prophet. Good point. Like in the process, like he realizes that the other prophet, the the other guy who said he had a word from the Lord was lying and he shouldn't have stayed. And so he knows he's going to die as a result of his sin, which. Right. So the end of the story there, though, is that then the the guy who actually lied about it takes him and he buries him. He wants to be buried beside him. Like that was such it was such a selfish thing that he had done. Mm hmm. Because he just wanted to spend time. I think I'm guessing it was that he just wanted to be with this guy who clearly had a word from the Lord. He was probably like 
Okay. So I'm totally interpreting here. almost like an importance, like, Ooh, you're important. I want to be with you kind of thing. No, like status. I don't. Well, maybe that's one interpretation. My interpretation is more like, I think the life of a prophet is incredibly lonely. And so I wonder if he was kind of like, he wanted the campaign. Like, I wonder if he just wanted to spend time with him. This guy clearly has a word from the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And I want to spend, I want him to come eat with me. I want to get to know him kind of thing. Hmm. And so he used his own self and whatever the reason, whatever yeah. his reasoning was though, like it seemed like it was worth it to him to speak, to take what he was given as a gift, the ability to interpret and share the word of the Lord and just like, use it willy nilly just for his own, right. His, his own, own benefit. benefit. Yeah. And the consequence of that was so severe. I don't know. I just really felt for him. I felt for him because it's so, it's just so human. It's so human to easily forget the holiness of God and what we have been given. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a couple of great resources we have for you. First, did you know that we have two podcasts? I know it's confusing, but we have this one, the recap, where we highlight our takeaways from the Bible reading plan, but we also have one called the Dive Collective Podcast, on which we highlight the gifts and talents and stories of our members. We have three great interview episodes already up, but we have more coming soon, so you're going to want to access those on both Google and the Apple Podcast platforms. We also have a couple of excellent free Bible reading resources on our website at divecollective.org. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get weekly emails with a devotion to start your week and a free download of the Bible reading plan. And we also have a dive guide in the shop. So check the shop out too while you're there. So head on over to divecollective.org to grab your free resources soon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like just it's- so it's so interesting because I did not feel for him at all. I'm mm. I was like so mad at him because I'm like, look, you in your selfishness made this choice. And now this other guy, the actual man of God, yeah. who from my perspective and my human reading it, it doesn't feel fair that he would get punished because oh, he, but he was wrong. Like that's the thing he is that he knew the word of the Lord and he decided if, if my interpretation is correct, he probably had the same desire too. Like I'm sure that he desired to go spend time with another man of God, that he allowed himself to doubt that he knew what God said. Like he's just as much to blame in my yeah. eyes as like so I, the other guy. I I get that. But I also, am, I feel like he was trusting. Here's two men trusting of God. Trusting who? Well, okay. So that's point. I listened. I wrote in my margin, I should be listening to the words of God, not the words of right. men. I think that's probably one of the main lessons we can learn from the story. Yeah. And I agree with you. I and just I think feel I'm like, like this guy trusted this other man of God that he on a, yeah. in a scale, if there's a scale and I'm like looking at one as worse than the other, I'm definitely looking at the first guy as slimier than the second, then the, you know what I mean? The first guy looks really manipulative, manipulative. And I just didn't have much compassion for him. I had compassion for the guy who, cause I felt like he was tricked. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I felt like he was manipulated by the other person and then he paid the he was the one that had to have the consequence. I mean, the other guy, hope I'm sure, recognized he had to bear the weight of that for the rest of his yeah. life, what happened. I think in the past, that's the way I've always read it too, that this second guy was the jerk. I think now, I wonder if the difference now is that like I'm more 
I'm far more certain now in my walk with the Lord when I've heard from the Lord hmm. than I ever have, than I, than I was the last time I've read it, you know, and now it's mm-hmm. one of those. He should have known. Yeah. When you know you've heard from the Lord, you have a responsibility to not let anybody cause you to doubt. Like it's like, if, if you know the voice of the Lord, which this guy clearly did, mm-hmm. that he was willing to go to this King and say this, if you know the voice of the Lord to that degree, it's your responsibility to trust the voice of the Lord. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think because of his, the clear sorrow of the man of God, it kind of made him, it was like, there was no underlying, there seemed to be no underlying motive to trick him, except that he wanted to be with him. We don't see anything in the story that gives us an idea of why he was right. doing it. The goal, he wasn't trying to get consequences for the other guy. It was right. Yeah. It seemed like he just genuinely just wanted to be with this man of God. Anyway, so then we get into all these kings and what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. We'll read about this in the Chronicles, blah, blah, blah. And then today, this morning, I come to, up to Elijah and I was like, oh. I love Elijah. I know. And I needed it so badly. And, and the timing is so great because we are just in Mark. And I've been thinking about, in fact, last week we were just talking about the son of man. And that being how God refers to his prophets as the son of man. And Elijah comes up three or four times in Mark eight and nine. So it's just the timing of that is really cool to be the one set of passages where Elijah pops up. I get to see him and there's a part of me that's like, okay, maybe this is the time I don't forget which one's Elijah and which one's Elisha. Maybe I read it this time and it sticks because <laughs> I'm always getting them mixed up. Oh yeah. I always get them mixed up. <laughs> well, there are so many Jeroboam has a son named Abijah. And so does Rehoboam. Yeah. And I was like, really, guys? Come on now. Like, I know. That stuff is happening. Can we make this a little bit easier? I feel like you could have made this a little bit easier on us. Yeah. Okay. Did you go back? This is backtracking. We can get to Elijah. But did you go back to Joshua at all? No. Okay. So at the end of chapter 16, Ahab is king. Um, he's a terrible, terrible person. And during his reign, Hiel or Heel, the Beth- Bethelite, built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. And at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Hmm. I was like, Joshua, this, that was, Joshua was a long time ago. What was that? So I looked back, Joshua 6, when Joshua destroys Jericho. It's in the same place as where Rahab is saved. Okay. So Joshua comes in, they save Rahab, they burn everything else, and the whole city is destroyed. Mm-hmm. At that time, Joshua imposed this curse. The man who undertakes the rebuilding of this city, Jericho, is cursed before the Lord. He will lay its foundation Whoa. at the cost of his firstborn. He will finish its gates at the cost of his youngest. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you went back. Yeah. I was like, whoa. That's so cool. God doesn't forget. No. And I want, I didn't, but I was like, how many years, like how many generations would this guy, I mean, he was a Bethelite. I actually have no idea what that means. He would have been, yeah, he would have been an Israelite, Bethel. He must have known. I mean, surely he knew about Joshua. He knew 
Was he just, I'm sure it was forgotten. (laughs) Right. Had he forgotten or was it one of those, like, I was wondering too, like how, if it was intentional, if this guy was like, cause they're all evil. They're all terrible. They probably just didn't care. But I also was like, I wonder if he. You're right. Actually, when you put it in that context and you think about Elijah and this whole point, the, the whole point of his story, like they were really, they were treating God the God of Israel, like he was the God of the pagans. Like they didn't expect any consequences, any real consequences or mm-hmm. any real action on God's part for anything that he ever said. He was just another God to them at this point. That's the way that it's, yeah. which is crazy. And so cool is- that God is like, mm, like right now I'm just in totally, as I'm talking, like, this is so our God who pursues us to show mm-hmm. us like, what is it? To, what, who are we to him that he has to prove himself? And he does he like, does. he took Elijah and he sends him to do this thing to say, no, really, I can make the soaking wet wood burn like mm-hmm. in a hot flash because that's who I am. Like I yeah. am the only God that has any ability whatsoever. And my ability is all encompassing. It's just mm-hmm all encompassing and so much when we've been reading through like Isaiah and Jeremiah, he, the message describes their fake gods as like, how does they say it? No good gods or not, not, not gods. How does he say it? I don't remember. It's so good. Anyway, like the contrast between the prophets of Baal and just the, what's the word? I mean, it's so ridiculous to me to look at them, do what they're doing, and they're expecting an answer. Like they're asking a non-god, like a nothing god. themselves till they're bleeding, they're bloody. I'm actually kind of picturing Jesus in their midst. Like if if Jesus were there watching this, like what? What was that like for Elijah to just watch them like bloody so themselves? Yeah. Yes. The things that they were doing to try to get their gods to act, mm-hmm. that they actually believed that they would to the point where they were just covered in blood. I mean, I just, it's, it was heartbreaking. Like that scene in my head just was overwhelmingly heartbreaking in that moment. Yes. When I read, cause I don't think, I don't remember reading that part before that they were like by noon, like three hours in they're bloodied and gross. And then three more hours pass before Elijah's like, okay, enough. Yeah. Now that you're done with that, cover my altar in water, surround it with a moat of water, just mm-hmm. douse it in wetness. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not enough that he can just start a flame. Right. That's not going right. to be enough for you. Well, but that's, it's not, it's not going to be enough for them, but it made me think of, we read it last week in Ephesians. It's right after our dive collective verses in Ephesians three, that God is able, basically the gist is that God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So that contrast between those prophets of Baal begging this non-God who's incapable of anything, like Uh he can't do anything. And then there's Elijah Elijah pours the water on it, but then when God sends the fire, like he doesn't just burn up the, he doesn't just send the fire to consume the offering. Like he burns it all up and it's wet. And like just all of those things that it just made me think 
it happens because Elijah prays. And so yes. it just made me think yes. of that verse and like uh, our prayers, if I put myself in Elijah's shoes, I, I mean, I think God was obviously leading Elijah, but if I'm just thinking about what I would have done in this situation, I for sure yes. would not have put water on it. And I would have been like, please God, just a spark. Like I just need a spark, yes. you know? Yes. And like Elijah's like, no, yes. get it wet. I, yes. my God is capable of doing more than you could ever imagine. And more and than he I, wants to glorify himself more than yes. I need him to glorify himself. Exactly. Right yes. Exactly. So here's a testimony that I probably won't include, but I don't think I've ever, I, have I ever shared with you about the time that I was taking, I took some friends to Cedar Point and there was a tornado warning. No, <laughs> no but I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Calamity that follows Erin everywhere she goes. Of course there was a tornado. This is, this is, it's such a bizarre story. I just never share it because people are like, I'm never going to believe it, but I had been at college. I had come home for the summer and I was working, I think with my sister. So I had a group of like, um, friend, local friends that we were hanging out with cause we all worked in the same place. And I decided that all of us should go to Cedar point one weekend. And so they were like, yes, we're totally going to Cedar point that or maybe it was a week before the trip. It's just so bizarre. But I remember thinking, hearing the Lord say like, it's going to rain really hard. Like it's going to rain and you're supposed to pray in front of everybody that the rain would stop because it's going to ruin, like, it's going to look like it's going to ruin your day. Right. And I was like, oh, this is really weird. Like, this is weird. It was just like a bizarre, like it was like a kind of a, a fleeting thought. Like it kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, was really Lord? And I said it to my sister. I told her like within a couple days, I was like, this is, I feel like God told me this. I know it sounds weird, but just, it is what it is. And so then the, that morning, Colleen and I were going to get gas and the sky was red. You know, the, the sky, the, the, the sun was red and it says red mm -hmm. sky in the morning, sailor's mm -hmm. warning. And I was like, Colleen, this might like, actually, this might actually happen. I might actually have to pray in front <laughs> of all these people for it not to rain. We all get in the car and we are like right outside of Sandusky, Ohio and the skies, it was sunny. And then it, and then was it wasn't like, not just, it was torrential. I couldn't see the front of my car. It was like torrential downpour. And I was like, what are we going to, I'm like, I was like, Colleen, I guess it's time to pray. Let's pray that let's pray that God would clear out the weather so that we can have it. And so we've got these people in our car and that's all I said. I didn't actually pray out loud. I just said like, let's pray okay. that God would like stop this water. And sure enough, within moments, we just drive out into the sun and this doesn't happen. It's not like, that's the kind of weather that happens in Florida, but that doesn't happen. We get lake effect afternoon, day long, three day long like showers. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like Seattle. So anyway, we drive out into the sun we have like the sunny day and we have like the, the best day at Cedar point ever. And then we're, we are literally walking out the gates of the park. <sighs> Tornado warnings. We had to stay overnight in Sandusky, Ohio altogether. I know that that entire thing was for me. I don't know that anybody else received yeah. any word from the Lord or experienced it at all. But it, for me, it was, that was the first time that I ever I recognize the voice of God, like understanding kind of maybe a little bit how prophecy might work or how it all plays into effect. Such a bizarre story. But that's what I imagine when it had to happen to Elijah that he's like, 
okay, so this is going to happen. You're going to take them all to a high mountain and they're all going to do this stuff. Yeah. Like, and this is what I want you to do. Somehow Elijah just knew that this is what yeah. he had to do in order to make. You would have to just know, you have to know that God is going to show up. You have to know that like what the steps are and how that's going right. to look, or you can't, how, because otherwise I'm like you, like, God, just a spark, just a spark. Just a little spark. Um, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? <laughs> I'm trying to see, because sometimes it tells us like, and God said to Elijah, yada, yada, yada. But I don't yeah. think it says that in this one, does it? I don't think so. I don't think you get the story. It doesn't. No, you don't get the story at all. But it must have happened. Right. He had to have known that that was what it was supposed to look like because he's so directive in exactly what they're supposed to do. Anyway, and so then he goes and he prays for rain. Right. So Elijah tells him it's going to rain because it's been a famine. Like there's been no rain because before this happens, God has been feeding Elijah with the ravens at the brook. And then the widow's son happens because... Elijah goes to find food and he keeps the oh, oil and the flour going forever. That part. Such yeah. An important part. Yep. Yes. Goes with like the feeding. I mean, that totally fits with the feeding of the 5,000 that we're studying in Mark. That was such a, I went back and was thinking about that story too. Um, but yes, that story that the bread just keeps going until. Until there's more until the famine's over, right? Until the famine's over. Yep. He tells Ahab to go and eat and then Elijah goes and watches for the cloud. And then finally, there's like a tiny cloud over the sea. And then Elijah runs to wherever Ahab is headed and beats him there. And that's the end of 18. I don't remember what happened in 19. Maybe I forgot to read it. That's right. So this is another thing that I totally relate to. You know, if we've talked about this. That every time we were done with Illuminate afterwards, I wanted to like end my life. I was like, this is the worst ever. Like I just felt terrible. Like I felt completely worthless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally felt despair. When I was saying that that's how I experienced every time I was doing illuminate when I was done, I just felt so terrible afterwards. Somebody reminded me about this story in Elijah of Elijah and how, after he was done with this incredible moment of ministry, he basically finds himself under a tree and he was like, take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted. He fell asleep under the lone broom bush. So then an angel comes and basically ministers, provides for him twice. He gives him like bread and what he needs. Cause he's like, you're going to go on a long journey. It goes for 40 days. One of the things that I love that I need to think about, because what I'm starting to do is really pay attention to when Jesus or God asks a question because he knows the answer, right? So mm-hmm. why does he ask the question? What's happening when he asks the question? So there are two questions here. They were the same question both times. And the answer was the same both times. But God says, so Elijah, what are you doing here? And then Elijah tells the story. I've been working my heart out for God, the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. It's like God is kind of like... What are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on with you? And Elijah is like, pours out his heart to God. And then it, the same thing happens a little bit later. Again, he finds himself um, in a cave and a quiet, a storm comes by, like all these things come by and God wasn't in it, it says. And then there's a quiet whisper and Jesus and Elijah comes out. So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? 
And Elijah said it again. I've been working my heart out for God, the God of angel armies, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. It's like that same story, but it's just that like that. Engage- I don't, I, I think there's way more here than I can even see. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm just going to be pondering it for a while, but I love that God is like, mm-hmm. what's going on with you? How, like, what's your experience like? And Elijah's just like, it's twice. It's the same. I'm it's not I'm in the same place I was the last yeah. time you asked God, but God still wanted to hear it. But here, here's what I like about what he says in this, his second answer to Elijah after Elijah pours out his heart. He basically says, I'm perver- preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the God Baal, the mouths that haven't kissed his image. It's almost like God's like, you say that there's no one left. You're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. There's 7,000. I've preserved 7,000. There's other people out there. You might mm-hmm. not see them. You might not know them, but know that mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing and I preserve them. And sometimes to be honest, like there's a part of me that even now I have those, like, I have those moments where it's like, Lord, where are your people? Where are the people who are focused on you? Because it's just, there's, it's so loud. There's so much like arguing and even among his people, there's so much to be discouraged about. And he's like, no, I've got, I've got people. I've got people in all the places. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't worry about, I've preserved people for Mm -hmm. my name. We are running out of time. Ezekiel ends with a bang. He talks about what heaven is going to be like, I think is what he's saying. It says in verse chapter 47 of Ezekiel, starting in verse, starting in verse eight, it says this water flows east, descends to the Arabah and then into the sea. It's talking about the water that's coming out of the temple, the sea of stagnant waters. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish because the river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore from En Gedi all the way north to En Aglaim, casting their nets. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds, like the fish of the great Mediterranean. The swamps and marshes won't become fresh. They'll stay salty, but the river itself on both banks will grow fruit trees of all kinds. Their leaves won't wither. The fruit won't fail. Every month they'll bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is a side note, but mm-hmm. when I read the last couple chapters of Ezekiel, mm-hmm. so like as we've been reading the the temple, like rebuilding the temple, mm-hmm. I've been thinking like, when is this happening? When is this? Right. Yeah. And then when I get to this, I'm like, oh, like really, when is this happening? And so <laughs> as, as I'm reading this, I thought the same thing. But so the last line that you just read. Yeah. Is their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. And I'm like, well, we're not going to need medicine. I was like, okay, I just have to, I didn't have time this morning. I was finishing it. Oh, I, I thought you were going to have answers for us. No, th- that's why I was like, this is a oh. total side note. But I was like, I, Ezekiel, I. Well, there were several things about it that I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like there's some things right. that don't fit with heaven. I said that it's heaven. But it, it doesn't like fit heaven. with earth either. Like, I right. mean. Like fruit, fruit trees every bearing month. every month. Like, it's, yeah. so that there are so many questions, but I feel like Ezekiel, I think of all the books that we've read this year, Ezekiel is the most, like I'm the least familiar with it of all uh-huh. of them. And I think it's left me with the most 
desire to study. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> when is this a, like the profits that I've told you before? Like, yeah. When is it for like, that's always this really big thing question for me. And so it kind of, but okay. My favorite part of Ezekiel's reading this week was the way it ended, mm. which this, I thought I agreed with you. I thought it sounded, it's talking about heaven, the new city, the very, the second half of verse 35 says the name of the city from that day on will be the Lord is there. Yes. Mic drop from Ezekiel. God is there. That's where I want to live. Yes. Um, so then we started Daniel. Daniel chapter one is the passage that was preached when I decided to homeschool Hannah. That's when I, I was in a backwoods. Did I tell you this? I've told you the story, this right? This sounds familiar. Yeah. But I did not remember it was Daniel one. Yeah. I was in a backwoods church in Louisville, Kentucky, outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Like I just did not expect to get anything. So I was there <laughs> and the pastor preached this sermon on first Daniel. And I was in the middle of trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my kids. Cause Hannah was starting school age. Both Jeff and I went to public school, but I had this, somebody had sort of opened my heart to the possibility that homeschooling was a good, a good idea. <laughs> so Jeff and I had been talking about it and I was kind of going back and forth. I was so on the fence and kindergarten was coming and I was like, Lord, if you have a preference, like I want to do whatever that is, but I don't want like, I know that either way you go with them, you go with them to public school. If we homeschool, I sure as heck I'm going to need you there. So whatever, you know, whatever you need, whatever you want, like, that's what I want to do. And so then this pastor on this Sunday that I was kind of agonizing over this, he preached this sermon and he was talking about Daniel and that Daniel's parents must have been really special to have raised a boy. Like this guy, he was a young kid when he mm -hmm. went to Babylon, he wasn't old and, um, but he knew enough that about the necessity of living a set apart life, not living a life like the rest of the world, that when he was offered the feast, when he was offered the banquet, he asked for a diet that would set him apart from the others. And God bless that. And that to me was a significant moment because it was like, well, this is just an easy way to live a set apart life. This is an easy way to show my kids that what we do is just a little bit different than what the rest of the world does. It's not to shun the rest of the world and it's not to it was, the purpose wasn't to shelter them, but to just live a little bit of a set apart life so that our kids would know that we're just a little bit different than the rest of the world because we belong to God. Anyway, so this is just, it's a really special passage to me where you see Daniel choosing, um, asking for a very bland diet, mm -hmm. considering what everybody else was feasting on. Right. Considering what he was being offered for sure. Yeah. And he was like, that. this is what I want because this is because I belong to God. I just can't even wrap my mind around it. The end of that story too, that, that story with Hannah is pretty cool because in fourth grade, then she wants to go back to school right before fourth grade. She wants to go back to school. And I was like, you need to let us know because we need to be praying about it. And um, she was like, she was like, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, that's because you're little let us pray about it. like, if this is what you think you want to do, then we'll pray about it. And she was like, well, she came back two days later and she was like, I want to pray about it. Like, I want, I want to pray and ask God what I should do. And I was like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, she's like a young girl who wants to like seek God's heart on something. It was like, well, this is the this is the whole point, right? This mm-hmm. is why we started homeschooling you in the first place, so that you would mm-hmm. be able to have your own relationship with God at a young age. So she did. She prayed about it and sought people's counsel all on her own, and she decided to go back to school. Crazy. Yeah. Then we went to Gitmo and weird ever since. <laughs> yep. Everything <laughs> fell apart. I don't know though. I feel like things are a little weirder for me now than they were in Gitmo. Yeah. Is there anything else to cover in there? Do we want to hit the epistles real quick? Yeah. I don't have, I don't have a lot quick. in the epistles. I felt like I was mm. underlining like a crazy person in Colossians. Yeah. I feel like it's been a while since I've read through Colossians and I read it in one sitting Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, this is good stuff. Yes, I have a lot of underlines. This is another example of Paul who can just throw the gospel together in a few oh, words. Right. Like, there's so many times with Paul that I'm like, well, there's all of it right there. That's yeah. the most, that's like the perfect explanation of the gospel. And then he does it again and again and again. Like, in chapter two, somewhere between 11 and 15. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Mm -hmm. Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Colossians is just so very much like a, it reminds me of Galatians in a lot of ways, but without the like consternation. Is that the right word? Yeah. He's not frustrated with the people. Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. It's not, but it's just like this reminder of like, yeah, um, yes. that nobody, there's no outsiders there. There no. is no outsiders in Christ. You can't be an outsider. So don't get caught up in these foolish arguments about, oh, here, this is, I loved this verses eight through 10. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with the big words and intelligent double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and empty the superstitions of, and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. The other part that kind of goes with that first in verse 20. So then if with Christ, you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Yes, I have that underlined too. That's the way I picture. That's what I picture the disciples doing with the scribes. Like they're letting themselves be bullied by these scribes who want to argue about like, and I picture like, I imagine that they're arguing about how to cast out demons. And the scribes are like, you can't cast out demons, you're regular people. And they're like, no, we were totally casting out demons. Watch, we can do it. And then they can't do it. And then it's like, see, you can't do it because you actually, you know what I mean? Like I kind of right. picture them arguing about like how it's supposed to be done. And that's why Jesus is like, like it actually takes prayer. You have to pray. Yeah. Um, anyway. About the arguing thing. Uh, kind of in the middle of chapter three, um, he says, starting in verse 14, um, he says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And I just Mm. thought those three, put on love, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts and be thankful. Those three things um, really stuck out to me as I was reading through that section. Mm. That's good. I love that. It says, and cultivate thankfulness. That's what mine says. Mm. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in tune with each other. Mm. 
That's beautiful. In step with each other, none of us going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Unity, like we so value being right over being united. Oh yeah. What a shame. Unity, unity, unity. That is his heart. That's our heart for Dive Collective. Yeah, so good. I liked in First Thessalonians 1, in his opening, he says, talking to the Thessalonians, he said, for the word of the Lord rang out from you. And I just thought that was a cool, hmm. what does it say in the message, verse 8? Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. Yeah. Echoing. That's a good way to say it, too. I like yours. It rang out. The news rang out. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.